Many thanks to Supergirl, who continues to be a sponsor of the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Supergirl, that's S-O-U-P-E-R-G-I-R-L, is a nationwide soup delivery service. Most importantly, their soups are delicious. They are a locally owned, women-owned company, local to the DC area, but they ship nationwide. And as a sponsor, they have offered us a code, RUN20, for 20% off your total order. I know that Supergirl has always been a go-to source of meals for me and my family. We use them as a compliment to dinner and their heartier soups make a perfect lunch, especially in the fall or winter. They're great fueling for running and their soups taste really amazing. They're vegan, kosher, and organic too. So check out Supergirl at supergirl.com and use the code RUN20. Thanks for Supergirl for sponsoring the podcast. We are very excited to announce our newest sponsor of the podcast, White Paws Run Mitts. You may recall Red Mitts because their founder, Susan Clayton, was a guest on our podcast in 2020. Susan's story is very interesting. She decided to start a small business and she started Run Mitts because as a runner and coach herself, she realized that she couldn't find a glove or mitten that allowed her to take her gloves off and put them back on when her hands got intermittently hot and cold, which happens to so many of us as the temperature changes. So particularly this fall and this winter, I know I will be wearing my run mitts to run every time I head out. They are so convenient and they're also really cool because they have a flap. So when you decide that your mittens are getting your hands too warm, you just simply lift the flap up and push them up your arms and then voila, you don't have to run around holding your gloves or mittens as many of us do when we take them off. They're also great for races. So check out Run Mitts at runmitts.com and use the code RFF10 to get a 10% discount on your order. That's runmitts.com and use the code RFF10. Thank you so much to Run Mitts for sponsoring the podcast. Hey, Lisa. <laughs> Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. We were just talking offline before we got on. We both were saying it was kind of a boring week, but then we started talking about some highlights and actually running related, we do have some news. So why don't you go first with your news, Lisa? It's not big news, but it was a um, fun, um, you know, coming off of Boston just a few weeks ago, getting an email this week for those who are 10 plus consecutive Boston Marathon streakers. Uh, We always get early registration. So basically um, the BAA sends us an email uh, a couple of weeks before general registration opens to say you're a 10 plus streaker, as long as you have a qualifying time. So it doesn't matter your cushion. Um, you can go ahead and register this week. So we, I got that email on Monday, I think, and registration opened yesterday on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday through Friday, I believe it's open. And um, so I actually got to register for Boston 2022, which really was fun because I was having kind of, you know, that you get that let down after we come home from Boston. So to get that email so quickly. Um, so yeah, so streakers were able to register this week and general registration opens, um, on, I think the ninth, is it the ninth? I should double check that, but registration opens, um, pretty soon for, for general registration as well. So exciting. Congratulations. And as a result, we also got our hotel. Um, we are big believers, even if <laughs> just get a refundable hotel guys, um, even if you're not sure you, um, if you qualified, but you're not sure if your time will actually allow you to be accepted, nonetheless, try and find a hotel that's refundable because they sell out quickly, but also the prices seem to go up about four months before they're already high. So just go ahead and grab that hotel. And this year we have big news for those who've been listening. 
you know that we always stay until Monday and fly back Monday night. But after this year and trying to find showers and whatnot at the Lowe's, we decided to treat ourselves. And we are staying till Tuesday this year, Lisa. Woo-hoo. So <laughs> we'll actually get to shower in our own shower. <laughs> we won't have to pack our bags and check out in the morning. That'll be, uh, that will actually be of all the times I've been in Boston, only stayed till Tuesday once. So um, I've never really got a chance to, had a chance to experience like the day after the marathon, which sounds like a lot of fun. So I'm excited. Yeah. Similarly, the only time I ever stayed until Tuesday was not because I wanted to, it was the year of the bombings when I missed my flight. So yeah, same, same. Very excited about that. Um, So yeah, on another note, running related, last week we did an episode on um, sort of navigating if you were disappointed in your initial marathon result due to weather, maybe feeling sick during the marathon or whatever reason, and you decided you wanted to run a second marathon in the same cycle what is that decision tree? And man, we got a lot of responses from people sort of asking us our opinion on what they should do. And, you know, it's, it's really on a case by case basis, but it's certainly a tricky decision, particularly this year, because so many of us were running marathons for the first time after a very long hiatus. And so we actually over the week um, realized we do have quite a few runners that will be doing this as well for various reasons. Um, Lisa, you were just sharing um, a story about one of your runners uh, who has decided to run a marathon, a second race within her same training cycle because of something that happened out of her control. If you want to share what happened to her. Yeah. And it's actually not even a second race. So it's a little bit different. Um, But one of our uh, runners, uh, who's also a really talented multi-sport athlete, a triathlete, uh, Mariam, who had trained diligently and really had a really strong, healthy training cycle um, for Ironman California, which was this past Sunday. And as anyone who paid attention to the news uh, saw, there was a um, a bomb cyclone, (laughs) which sounds really scary, but basically a really big storm with a ton of rain that um, descended upon Sacramento, uh, where the race was taking place on Sunday. And Miriam had actually sent me a picture from the start where bikes were blowing off the racks and um, things were just, the winds were picking up. It was pouring torrential rain and um, they decided to cancel that race. And that is a huge, you know, those all the, everyone was there. She was on the bus on the way to the start and people were there. They'd spent the money to travel. It is not inexpensive to travel to a triathlon like this, to transport your bike, the logistics, the expense. And everybody was literally at the start line and the race was canceled. And that is an instance where I think it was absolutely the right call. Um, especially when you're out in the water or when you're out on a bike, that is a disaster waiting to happen. And I think the race directors had really no choice but to, to cancel that race and uh, let, they gave the um, participants uh, uh, several options of deferring or transferring their registrations. And um, I love Miriam. She had such a great um, attitude. So positive that, you know what, guess what? She got a trip to California with her husband and they were healthy and well, and um, just a, a really good example of mindset and how you frame um, the uncontrollables. And she, kind of thought, well, I guess I'll come home and just, you know, kind of wait it out until my next training cycle. Cause she's going to do it. She's transferring her re- registration to a summer 2022 Ironman triathlon. And so she's got some downtime now. And we talked a little bit, she, she, she's trained for a marathon. And I said, you know, what about considering doing something when you come home to use your fitness? It's not absolutely, if you feel like you need to, you're fatigued and you need to recover, then that's the right choice, but you could probably use that fitness. And she took a little time to think about it and came back and said, you know what, 
Um, I do. I want to do Rehoboth Marathon. So we're shifting the focus. And she was tapered for Ironman and then didn't race. So that's kind of, that's a little bit different than our, you know, runners who tapered, then run 26.2 and then have to now recover before running 26.2. So Miriam had tapered, didn't raise, and now we're going to build up focusing on running because before we had a lot of focus on swim and bike and she had a lot of long bikes that required some recovery. So her run was, you know, it's like any other triathlon that we, triathlete that we train, we have to balance the running with the cycle and the swimming, which is also a big load on their body. So now that she doesn't have to worry about that, she can use cycling and swimming as um, cross-training, as active recovery. We can dial that back and we can focus on the running. So we've got a few weeks to focus on running and then she'll taper and do the Rehoboth Marathon and use that fitness. Yeah, it's really great. I'm, I'm really happy for her and for you that she was able to find something to test out her fitness. And similarly, uh, we have quite a few runners that have decided to go ahead and give Rehoboth a try after feeling like it was too hot or they just weren't feeling well during their initial marathon. So um, yeah, we're excited about that. And we're, we're, I'm just super grateful that we're able to provide options to people now. I mean, think about where we were last year at this time where there were a couple of marathons, but not much. And people really wanted to test out their fitness and, and just, it was, a, it was tough to try and come up with some solutions. So I'm just, super, super happy that we're able to offer so many race options to folks. And also I think it takes the pressure off knowing that, look, you know, if you didn't have the race in your life due to circumstances that were unforeseen, you can try again. It, nothing's permanent. If we learned anything through the past year and a half, it's that, you know, there's no reason why we need to put all our eggs in one basket. We run because we love to run. We run, we train because we enjoy the process. And part of the reward is being able to test our fitness. And if, if it's not going to happen on the day that we intend, and there's always another day, there's always another race. And I feel like that's also why coming off of Boston, maybe it's also because Boston's in six months versus another year. I don't have as much of a letdown as I typically do after a marathon. I, I kind of, I looked at that weekend and that day is so wonderful, but I'm not kind of going through the month like, oh, I want to start running again and training again. I'm going through the month like that was really great. I'm really enjoying my downtime and I'm excited to train again come January. But right now I'm totally fine just kind of doing whatever and really taking advantage of my recovery. And a mental break too. You know, that's, I think that's really important. Not only, you know, for us, we think, I mean, I know I need that, but so many of our runners really need that mental break from the kind of the, the, that mental strain of thinking about your training and when are you fitting it in and what do you have next? And what, you know, what does that, what does that workout mean for your fitness and um, that, that mental strain. So we had taking that mental, mental break as well. You know, I forgot to mention to you, but yesterday I sat in on a lunch and learn with BD Deutsch, who we've had on our podcast before. And she talked about her, her Berlin experience. And we've talked about that on here before, but she, um, you know, was in the shape of her life and she was aiming for a 229 finish, um, at that, at that marathon. And she was in great shape. Uh, she had spent a lot of money and time training. She had come to the U S for training at altitude. She put her family through a lot and she went to Berlin. She had a perfect first half, perfectly executed. I think she said she was supposed to go through the half in 114.40, and she went through in 114.31. So she was like nine seconds ahead, but really on pace. And then about two kilometers past the half, she said she felt like her body spontaneously combusted. And she just could not. Um, something was, she said she's never felt anything like that. And, um, you know, it was just interesting to listen to her, though, her take on that. Like, again, you know, she she recognized that the training was her 
was her success and that it didn't diminish any of her, her as a runner or her training. It was just the day and what the day had in store and something she couldn't control. And it was interesting too, that she talked about um, not the option of just stopping because she wasn't on her goal was not in her mind. She was going to finish it. At the time she didn't know she had COVID and maybe would have made a different decision if she had known that's what was going on. But um, she said, you know, even though she wasn't hitting the paces she knew she could or needed to, it was still really important for her to finish uh, that race. And, and it just was, it was really um, affirming to listen to her talk about that was one race. It was one, you know, it was out of her control. It was something that happened. It did not diminish her as a runner. It didn't diminish her abilities. Um, and or all of the work that she had put into it. So I think that is you know very um, relevant to um, to this race season for for a lot of runners who maybe didn't feel like they got the most out of it for whatever reason. Yeah, for sure. I think that really echoes what happened to a couple of our runners in Chicago who both in the middle of their races um, got very sick. Um, one runner decided to finish. Another runner decided to um, stop. Uh, Either decision is is their personal decision, but um, it was something out of their control that happened on that day, and they both um, were sick indeed. So, um, yeah, you know, we have our own theories. I don't, I mean, we're not physicians, but um, we do know that running marathons in general weakens the immune system, whether temporarily during or after our immune systems are more vulnerable and perhaps, you know, both runners might've had something dormant in their system. Um, one did test positive for COVID after the race, didn't know she had it. So it happens and this is a weird time. So hearing those wise words from BD um, and just a great reminder that it's not a waste. A training cycle is still, we say this all the time, it's in the bank, it's in the training bank. And those miles under us are, can then be used for future training cycles and future races. So for anyone listening that didn't have the best day, it wasn't a waste. There's always another day. Uh, but the best thing we can do is turn it around into a positive learning experience and, and remember that it doesn't take away from our successes along the, uh, along the road, our successes while enjoying the process, and our successes as we look forward um, in determining what our next race goals are. So uh, speaking of race goals, we have an incredible guest coming up. His name is Bill Duncock, and Bill is, he's a phenomenal runner, but we're not just having Bill on because he himself is a phenomenal marathoner, which we'll learn more about, but it's also because he pushes in his races, his disabled son, Logan. Um, he's going to share uh, his 23-year-old son's journey, but it was definitely inspired by Rick and Dick Hoyt, who we've talked about a lot in this podcast. We admire both of them tremendously. And um, it's just, it's an incredible story. We can't believe we, we hadn't met Bill yet. Um, we learned about him through the Boston Buddies page when he shared an article about him that was featured in his local newspaper. He lives in Hickory, North Carolina. And uh, Bill's going to come on and talk about his Boston Marathon qualifying story because Bill had to qualify for Boston with his son, Logan, to be able to run um, in that category. And he's also going to talk about his long history of running Boston. Um, he's also a podiatrist, so he's just a wealth of information. And we're super excited to bring his story on the podcast. We hope that this inspires others who are thinking about perhaps participating in, in an adaptable athlete program. Um, there are so many opportunities out there to do that. 
And uh, Bill certainly is elevating that just as Rick and Dick White uh, did as well. So Lisa, I hope that you have a great week. Thanks, you too, Julie. Bye. Bye. Dr. Bill Johncock, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. First of all, uh, do we call you Dr. Johncock, Bill? Dr. Bill, Bill, what's your preference? Yeah, Bill is fine. Yeah. Okay. If you're in my office, then you can call me Dr. Johncock. Otherwise, uh, Bill is is more than fine. So. All right, great. Well, Bill, welcome to the podcast. And uh, why don't we start off by having you uh, introduce yourself to our listeners? You, you certainly have a phenomenal running resume, but share with us a little bit about your running, your son, Logan, and what you do for a living. Yeah, so um, I uh, run and I, I push in a running chair my special needs son, Logan. Logan is 23 years old. He has something called Angelman syndrome. So he uh, he's nonverbal. Uh, he definitely gets his uh, communication across. So he signs a few words. He, he signs uh, cheeseburgers pretty well. He doesn't sign broccoli so good. So, but uh, he's a, a very sweet boy, and we love to hang out together. And so, I run pushing him uh, a good share of the time, and definitely our our time together in races. So we do anything from five Ks, marathons, even did a fifty K together. So uh, we love doing that, and it's our way to spend time together. Uh, on the side, I'm also a podiatrist, so I uh, especially love to work on runners uh, just because that's an interest area of myself and so have a special interest in uh, sports medicine and a little bit of extra training in that area so that uh, I, I get to see not only runners out while I'm out running, but also here in the office and, and obviously running is a big part of my life. Yeah, we would say it's a big part of your life. Um, you know, you talked about running with your son, but you were running way, way before Logan was born. And um, we are just amazed that your first marathon was, was when you were 15 years old, correct? Correct. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about your running, you know, your your own your own running and, and the, kind of how that developed over the years. Yeah. So I, I started, I was uh, 13 years old and uh, there was a local eight mile uh, race that was at my high school. And my older brother, or one of my older brothers, I, I have four four brothers. One of my older brothers uh, was a, a all-state tailback in football, and he was all everything. He was just a, an awesome athlete. He was a smart guy, he was, you know, valedictorian of his high school class, uh, homecoming king. He was he was all that in a bag of chips, and and so I, I don't think I beat him in anything in my life, even in marbles. I mean, he was he was the guy. And uh, he decided to run that uh, eight mile race. And so I said to my dad, hey dad, I think I'd like to do this. And, and actually my younger brother was 11 and he decided he was gonna do it. So anyway, my, my brother and all of his buddies, football buddies, they all dressed alike and had their matching outfits and they sprinted to get into the picture at the beginning of the race. And about two miles into the race, I catch up to him and uh, uh, all of his football buddies are giving him a hard time and saying, oh, your little brother's going to beat you. And he said, ah, we'll catch him later. And, and uh, I never saw him again. And uh, I think that was the first time I had ever realized maybe I can do something uh, athletically that I'm pretty good at and, and uh, kind of took off from there. And then a year later after that, my dad started running. He did that same race a year later. And then he got the bug. He was 50 years old at that time. And then another year after that, um, 
well, actually it was, uh, yeah, another year after that, that we did our first marathon. And uh, he, he tried to convince me not to run the marathon actually. And he said, well, you can only do it if you kept setting these markers, you can you have to do 20 miles at uh, in under, under three hours or you can't do it. So I, I was, I've always been pretty stubborn and not very bright, that, uh, but I worked, I love to work hard. So I, I uh, worked hard and I, every goal that he set out there, I was man, managed to achieve. And he said, well, I guess I told you, you could do it, you could do it. And that's when we did our first marathon uh, up in Michigan, where I grew up when I was 15 years old, so. That's incredible. And so that's, that's very unique. And obviously you realized in an early age that you had a gift for endurance. What was it about running that um, a lot of kids get burnout, especially those who start as early as you did, but clearly that's not you. So how did you manage that to continue your love of running, continue pursuing marathons as you are still? And uh, what do you think the key is for you and, and for those who are looking at you as an inspiration? Um, what do you think it, your secret was to staying healthy and um, allowing you to run for as long as you have? Well, a couple of things. Number one, I was always self-motivated. So it wasn't my dad that was pushing me or anybody else that was pushing me. Obviously, I had great coaches that tried to encourage me, but it was not, you know, a parent that was saying, you know, you need to do this. And so I see a lot of runner burnout based off from, you know, parents really pushing the kid, you know, trying to, to, you know, I guess live out their life through their child and, and that's just not going to work well. And so I, uh, I, uh, you know, I used to coach cross country coach for about seven years. And I saw that happen a lot where the, the, the parent was the one that was out there yelling at their kid or, or trying to get them. And I'm like, you know, take it easy on the child. That, that should be self-motivation. There's enough time to, to get serious with this later. So I think the other thing is I did have injuries um, and I half jokingly tell folks it just became cheaper to become a podiatrist rather than keep going to see one. And so, so I had had a lot of a uh, few injuries in high school and, and then in college and Basically, in college, uh, I finally saw a podiatrist that was uh, sports medicine oriented, and um, he, uh, I was, I was pre-med at that time already, and he had a very interesting practice, and I asked if I could observe his practice for a while, and he said, sure, and so uh, I said, I guess I could look at feet all day long, and, and that's kind of how I fell, fell into it, but I think even my knowledge of, of uh uh, the medical side of things. And also I've always been kind of a student of, of the, the sport. And so trying to find out as much as I could, whether it was medically or whether it was, uh, you know, training wise or doing other things to try to help myself. I, I was always working towards uh, trying to see how I could do that and try to improve myself intelligently and try to work um, smarter and not always harder. And, and so I think a lot of people get injuries and instead of, you know, trying to back off from an injury and saying, hey, I can always do this, whether it's six weeks or six months or six years down the road, I can do this. They try to push through those injuries and then they end up being, uh, instead of a, a minor setback, they become, you know, something that they can't continue to do. And, and, and I've been blessed uh, to, to have good uh, background in that area to and know, hey, you know, if it's hurting bad enough, I just need to back off from it. And it's hard. We're all, 
for all, if you're a long distance runner and you're doing marathons, uh, you know, you're, you're motivated, you're pushing hard. And so um, it's hard to back off and say, hey, I, I just can't do this race at this time. And, and yet the smartest thing is frequently to say, okay, well, I've got to, I've got to not do this right now. Yeah, I want to, um, it, it sounds like too, like you have good genes because you've got family that are, you know, are athletic. And and um, just as an aside, Julian, I can definitely relate to your feeling of like accomplishing something when you didn't feel like that was like athlete athletics where you're like strength. Both of us had that experience too. We were very unathletic as younger and, you know, found that running, we could excel in running. So we can relate to that. I want to take one little side detour quickly um, related and, and talk about your dad though, because your dad started at age 50 and he's still running now, right? I think you just re recently ran a, a 5k with him and he's yeah. run Boston as well. Um, amazing. How old is he now? Dad is 93 now. So and he's still running and he's still running. Still right? running. We did a, a 5k together about four weeks ago. I went up and visited him in Michigan. And, uh, yeah, this is, uh, he, he is, he is a real deal. He's probably a better one to have on here. He, uh, he, he holds several national records, uh, and kept improving from the time he started at 50 to when he was 60, when he was 60, he never broke three hours, but he ran under 301, uh, twice when he was 60, when he was 80, dad ran, um, a 359 marathon. So he is, he, uh, that is incredible. He, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, so, so let's kind of transition then into Boston marathon. And when you first qualified for Boston, what, and did you run that first Boston? Was your dad there too? At that yeah. first Boston? Yeah. Yeah. Dad, dad was 55 and I was 19 when we ran our first, uh, Boston together. So, yeah. And that was in 1984? 1984. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we and, both and what was the qualifying time for you to um, be able to qualify when you were 19 years old in 1984? Yeah, it was 250. You had to run under 250. So I did a 248 at a, a marathon to, to qualify. And then, then we uh, I did a 248 and change uh, there at Boston when I was in 1984. So what was it about Boston and and the whole trajectory and how you've continued running, you basically achieved the gold standard right away. So what kept you motivated to keep going after achieving a 240, 248 running Boston and basically doing the things that so many people work so hard to achieve, you kind of did it right off the bat. So what kept you going and um, what training modalities in particular have you implemented to ensure that you can keep going? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, a lot of it, like I mentioned earlier, is just self-motivation. I've always loved the, the discipline. I just tend to be a disciplined person. So I love the discipline, especially of the long runs and, and being out there. And I just love to run. It's just just my, uh, as well as a lot of other people, I always tell folks, it's my, my version of Prozac, you know, so I don't go postal and start hurting people. Uh, you know, I, I love to to run and uh, it's just uh, my version of therapy to, to be out there and, and trying to, to do that. Um, and being self-motivated, you know, I, I continued to improve uh, up until I was, you know, 26 uh, and, and just trying to push myself. Uh, and then even after that, some, some of the things I, I changed uh, a little bit as time went on in regard to 
you know, what was my focus. So I kind of made a delve into some, some ultra marathoning for a little bit. Um, you know, some of the time I was running five days and sometimes I was trying to push myself at marathons. So it was a, just a variation of things that kind of kept me interested. Um, and also having, uh, then later on having kids of my own and my, uh, my kids, um, especially my oldest son took up running uh, a little bit. And then, uh, when he was in middle school, I actually became his middle school cross country coach. And then later on became his high school cross country coach. And, uh, so that kept me in the mix and it became kind of a family thing because my my wife helped out. She was kind of the cross-country mom, and I'm the cross-country coach, and got my son that ran. And my daughter also ran one year. She um, She's now 21, but she did not uh, have the love of running at all. Um, she did her one year and was one and done and, and no more. But, um, but uh, just having different things along the way to kind of keep myself motivated. You know, I had a time period where I couldn't run as much when my kids were small. Um, I just didn't have as much time and I'm, I'm kind of earlier in my medical career. And so I just didn't have as much time to do all those things. And then, you know, as my kids kind of um, joined me in, in that journey, then, then they were able to share in that and became kind of a whole family thing that we did together. So I guess having different motivated thing, motivating things. So, you know, whether it's trying to do an ultra marathon and then you try to do a longer ultra marathon, or you try to, do a, your marathon as fast as you can at a certain time. And then it's changed that, hey, I, I can't get to my best time of, at 26, but what's my best time at 30? And what's my best time at 40? And 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 how can I improve? And, and sometimes it becomes, okay, what's my best time for that year? Or what's my best time for uh, a five-year age group span? And, and so I, I always kind of looked at those things to say, Hey, I'm going to use that as a marker. Not that I can I can necessarily compete against Bill Johncock when he was 26, but Bill Johncock when he's at a at a different age, and and then that even morphed into to doing it with my my special needs son, because that gave me a new source of of uh, motivation um, because I I had Logan because he loved to to ride in the chair, um, and I did that some with my other kids, but having him it just caused him to light up in a different way. And so we, you're always looking, I think with your kids, I'm diverging a little bit, but hey, what, what can we do to kind of uh, connect on a different level? And so with my, my oldest son, of course, we could run together and we played some basketball together. And my daughter has been a little more challenging because she's my artist and free spirit, but we've tried to find different ways. I try to connect that with her in her, her artistic level. And then with my son, special needs son, Logan, it was running and pushing him. That's what gave him joy. So then it became a next uh, thing, next step to a next goal to, to try to push ourselves together. Um, so that's kind of morphed a long time. So each, each thing that I do, I think I, I just try to enjoy and try to push myself a little bit better and a little bit, uh, as you guys say, run farther and faster, just doing it a little bit farther, a little bit faster. That's so that's so important too for runners like ourselves that are masters runners and a lot of the runners we coach are masters runners who may not be hitting their lifetime PRs anymore, but to have you know find new goals that are meaningful and that are still fulfilling. So that's you know that 
really resonates with us. When when did you start pushing Logan in a in a chair? I mean, was it you know did you push all your kids in strollers when they were young, or did you know when did when did that start? And um and how did that progress to then trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon as a duo? And how did that process? How did that happen? Yeah, so uh, Logan was. Um, I did push my other kids when they were smaller. I remember when my my oldest son was less than six months old, I ran a, a 10K run, and I don't think I made anybody any more mad than I did that day. And I had beat these same people by, you know, two or three minutes while I'm running solo, solo. but if I beat them during the, the race while I was pushing my, my uh, son in the, the running chair, you know, it's like, hey, I can't believe you beat me. I'm like, you know, hey, you know. It's, but anyway, I enjoyed doing that with them. Um, I started with Logan when he was very young, uh, probably six months old. Um, but where I really saw the, the change with him probably was when he was about three years old. And then he just, he, when he'd get in the chair, uh, he just, like I say, he lit up in a different way. He just he put his hands in the air and, and flap his arms up and, and his smile would just light up and and he just uh, enjoyed it, uh, and you just could tell he connected. And and with my other kids, when I'd go out and run with them, you know, hey, after twenty or thirty minutes, you know, hey, I'm done or I'm tired of this or whatever. Logan, I could go out and push him, and and there, I, I still haven't found his limit as far as time that he likes. And so, like I said, we did a 50 k together, you know, and that took us over five hours, five and a half hours. And, and he still didn't want to get out of the chair after five and a half hours. I was cooked, but he, he was ready to go. So, so, and, you know, we started off at doing, you know, some shorter races, five K's and 10 K's. And um, eventually we did a half uh, or we did a marathon together in 2000. Um, in 2005, we were trying to raise money. He was seven years old, trying to raise money for a playground at his special needs school. And they had this old beat up playground that wasn't meant for special needs at all. And he, it wasn't it wasn't good for even just a regular uh, able-bodied uh, child to try to work on this stuff. And they just, you know, and they were trying to raise money and they were pretty close to their goal, but they had about $30,000 to their goal that they were trying to raise and I said you know let's let's see if we can get this all at one fell swoop or how much we could do and so um, we we tried to get some donations and I ran a, a marathon at that point in time with it pushing it and a local news station caught that and uh, we um, we raised about ten thousand dollars and then we had one large donor that actually gave about $20,000 at once. He said, I'll write the check for the remaining amount. And so that was just, you know, incredible to, to have that happen. Um, and so that happened when Logan was seven. Um, and then that same year, I went to, to Boston and ran solo that year. And I met Rick and Decoy. Uh, at the Boston Marathon. And that, that um, I was at the expo. And um, anyway, Dick was talking to some of the reporters, but, but Rick was over to the side with his communicator. And I said, well, you know, Rick, I've got a special needs son and I'd love to, to run with him someday. And he said, oh, you've got to do Boston. Boston's awesome. You know, he said through his communicator. And it was at that point in time, it's like, 
okay, this is it. You know, I've got, I've got it. But for Boston, in order to push somebody, uh, the writer has to be uh, 18 years of age at least. So that meant, A, we had to wait till he was um, at least 18 years of age. But B, I've got to run fast enough to qualify because they don't give you any extra time at all. Uh, you have to run still the qualifying time that you would normally do as an able-bodied person without pushing anybody. You still have to run the Boston qualifier. So I had to, I had to uh, kind of, once you got to 18, I wasn't quite good enough at the younger age group, but once I got to the 55, I was fast enough to, to qualify so that we could do that together. So you have to qualify while pushing them to get that time, obviously. And, and um, anyway, that's kind of how that morphed over time. So just pointing out, there's a big difference between pushing Logan when you first ran a marathon with him in 2005 and he was seven years old and pushing him um, most recently um, during the qualifying marathon that you did where he's now a young adult, um, there, that's a huge difference in weight. So yeah. um, obviously you have been pushing him all these years, but how did your training change and, and how did you prepare all, all these years as your son continued to grow um, and you were pushing more weight? How did you, how were you able to manage that? Yeah, I mean, I think um, one of the things that you, we were kind of laughing about my dad um, and uh, I, I inherited his stubbornness, but I didn't inherit his genetic material. So my, my dad's about 145 pounds and I was a skinny guy in high school, but my freshman year of college, I grew five inches and put on about 50 pounds. So I went from little skinny guy to, to about 170. Um, and so, you know, I'm just a little bit bigger than your average runner too, which kind of you know, in some ways, put you at a little bit of disadvantage, but it's from pushing wise, it's actually an advantage. I'm a little bigger guy. And I think even you look at, at um, um, Dick Hoyt, uh, you know, he's a little bit thicker guy than some of the skinny guys. So I think that's actually a, a benefit to us uh, in regard to, to doing that. Um, I, I also, I, I, in fact, I've had to do a lot more um, just in regard to, to some, some cross training so that's one thing I've definitely added to my, my routine. I didn't used to do any cross training at all. So I, I do uh, more cross training three days a week. I, I try to be very diligent with that. And then for Boston, um, when I qualified for, for us to run, I just did it at, at the Myrtle Beach Marathon, which is, you know, pancake flat. So that's not too bad, but he's 110 pounds now. The chair is about another 50. Well, the one I used at Boston was actually about 60 pounds. So it was heavier, you know, to try to do that. But flats are, are marginally more difficult. But when you go to hills, it's significantly more difficult. And we knew at Boston we were going to be really hitting the hills. And so after we qualified uh, for Boston at Myrtle Beach, I knew I was going to need some extra help. So I haven't had a coach since I was in college during that time. So I actually uh, got a coach for the first time in uh, whatever, 35 years to try to help me there because I knew I needed more than what I could do on my own. And I needed somebody to help me. And, you know, like you uh, ladies help folks and, and kind of give them an idea how I can get there. I've had that help to, to A, keep me on. I, I, I love to run. 
but I don't always love to do the cross training and some of the other things that I should do. And that's one of the big things that, that my coach Brendan has really helped me with is to stay on task. Hey, every, are you doing your, your three times a week? Are you doing your, um, your cross training? Are you doing your push-ups? Are you doing the other things that are going to help you so that we're ready for race day at Boston when we hit those or cranking out those hills and, and, you know, that, and anybody that's run Boston, we all know that, Hey, they come at a very difficult time when you're already kind of tired in the race. And so, Hey, yeah, you got to be ready to, to hit the hills and be able to, to, uh, I know even race day, we had a, a number of other things. The, the first mile of the race at Boston, not to go too much into it, but the first mile of the race, um, there was one lady that was quite a, a bit behind everybody, but for all the rest of them, everybody else was in front of me. And, and that usually just doesn't happen. I was like last place out of all the, the push runners, the duo teams. And I'm like, okay, well, I was, I was a little bit tired that day, but part of it is I know I can't go out too hard early or I'm going to just not do the hills and, and the hills, you know, I passed a number of runners during there. So, so the coach helping me to stay on a plan that, that uh, helped me a to, to be able to do that, but also in training, obviously you're, you're going to race hills. You got to train on hills. So I did a lot of training on hills. I did a lot of training on hills with Logan, pushing him up the hills. And so, you know, so I didn't do too many hill repeats with Logan because that's really hard to, to do repeats up the hill, but I did solo repeats, but I did a lot of long runs, just pushing him on the hills to try to get ready for that as much as possible. And, and we live in a place that's pretty hilly. I'm at, right at the foothills of the, of the uh, Appalachian uh, mountain range here. So we've got quite a few hills around us. So I had access to them. It's just a matter of getting, getting ourselves out there and, and doing those, those uh, hill, hill uh, runs to, to get ourselves stronger to do it. Bill, are the downhills hard too? Because you've got a chair that's rolling. Is that is there a challenge to the downhills as well? Yeah, unless the, the hill is extremely steep, it's really not too bad. And and I've never been a great uphill runner. Um, in high school, um, my, my nickname given to me by coach was Downhill Bill. And so uh, uh, probably because I wasn't very good at the uphill, so we had to have something to, to point out. So I've always enjoyed running downhills. Um, but the one thing you have to be a little, little careful if it's a really steep hill, there were a couple spots even at Boston where it was fairly steep. And if I do that, um, you, you actually have a brake on the chair that you can use and I have to use that brake. And if I don't, then it's too much momentum. And then that's really hard on the, on the, the knees and the pounding type of do to, to be able to do that. And I've always been pretty good at focusing on turnover while I'm, I'm doing downhills. So I think that's your when you are turning it over quicker instead of trying to bound so much, you you're not going to have a near as much impact. So so, um, but for for us, the downhills typically aren't aren't really difficult, um, uh, and it's a usually a relief, especially you know at Boston after hitting all those hard hills. I, I didn't mind the downhills too much at all, and and. Uh, we managed to, to work through that that part. Of course, at Boston, you know, it's also in the downhill section. Uh, you are fatigued once again, and if you haven't done a little bit of downhill training, then that comes back to, to nip you in the bud in the quads, you know, and and uh, 
you know, I, I my first Boston, that, that was something that I realized I wasn't ready for the downhills at all. And uh, um, other Bostons, I, I made sure I'd done enough downhill running to, to um, make sure I was prepared. So before we go into what your first Boston with Logan was like, can you walk us through what it took you to qualify? Because you mentioned earlier, you had to wait till Logan was 18 and then you wanted to wait till you entered a new age group. But of course there was uh, a hiatus in, in racing and there was no Boston in, in 2020. And of course in spring of 2021. So talk to us about how you qualified and what that looked like and why you had to run Myrtle Beach. Well, and to be honest with you, I wasn't sure at Myrtle Beach that we could qualify. I, I honestly thought, hey, this is going to be a good learning experience. Um, but I did have a, a good day that day uh, to go out. And, you know, the, the other thing that you always have at Boston, too, is, you know, the qualifying time, but you don't know how much of a buffer that you're going to need. So do you need to be three minutes below or five minutes below or seven minutes below? You just don't know what that, that buffer needs to be. So I was I was running pretty well that day. And um, I, I did start to cramp up towards the end. And uh, uh, my wife and my daughter were following us in, in the vehicle. They were kind of hitting us at different spots during the race. And, and so, um, you know, I, I thankfully didn't cramp up too bad, and I was able to, to get uh, by about five minutes. We had a little less than a five-minute margin at Myrtle Beach. I had to run 330, um, 3.35, so we did 3.30 and, and change there to, to do it. Well, then you have to wait and see, hey, is that, is that good enough to, to get you into the qualifying time? And it did, and we got in for 2020. But then COVID hits. So then you've got uh, 2021. And what is that cutoff then? Well, the cutoff was seven minutes. So that qualifying time didn't get me in to, to, to us. I shouldn't say me, but it got, didn't get us into to the Boston for 2021. So then in March of 2020, we ended up doing another marathon. We did the... Um, uh, race in Chesapeake, Virginia, because we were searching for marathons. We were going to try to do Myrtle Beach again. Well, Myrtle Beach was postponed until later on, and it was going to be hot, you know, in, in May to try to do that. So we tried to do something else in, in March. So we found that that marathon is called the Tide. Uh, the, stride, the Striders, right? The Tidewater Striders. Yeah. So, yeah, we had a runner do that. That's Yeah, that was a good race. Yeah, so we did that one, and that race we were able to to be nine minutes and change under our qualifying time. So we did three twenty five. So we had enough of a buffer to to get that, and uh, you know that was that was an exciting race because that day got hotter towards the end of the marathon. I that day I ended up drinking over a hundred um, hundred ounces of fluid during the race. The one advantage that you have while you're pushing somebody is I have easy access to fluids because I can just put it into the chair. So I don't have to just wait till the aid stations or whatever. And so not many advantages of having the chair, but that's one of the advantages. But uh, once again, kind of cramping up and you, you know that time's close. But, you know, I've got the one advantage. The other advantage that I have is I have the best motivation in the world sitting right in front of me. So I've got Logan there. 
when you know when we all get tired we get to those spots but i've got him there in front of me and and uh keeps me going so how was your mindset though i i'm just i'm in awe of what you did because you not only qualified the first time with Myrtle Beach, you of course experienced the disappointment that every runner who qualified for Boston experienced when it was canceled. And then of course you learned that your achievement at Myrtle Beach would not get you into Boston 2021. So then you found another one to run. How did you stay positive during that? There, I'm sure you heard so many runners upset, frustrated and whatnot. And here you are with a, an added um, bonus in that you have the opportunity to, to push your greatest motivator, but at the same time, it just feels, it feels so hard listening to this. Why couldn't, why couldn't you just get in with the qualifying time and not have to deal with the yeah. buffer given what you're dealing with, but it's an even greater accomplishment because you were able to do that. So how did you stay positive during that time period? Well, I think like everybody else, you kind of go through this uh, almost grieving type of time, you know, like, well, you know, or whether it's a pity party or whatever, however we want to describe it. Hey, you know, why can't I get in? Why, you know, why did this happen? Why is this timing like this? And, and, you know, hey, I had a time period of whatever, you know, a month where I was kind of, oh, this is not fair, this is not right, you know, and then, okay, well, why can't I use my other, uh, other time I qualified before? And then I, I guess I just kind of have a personal mindset of, of, okay, well, we can either feel sorry for ourselves, or we can pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and go after this and, and use that as a motivation as of, hey, you know, we're, we're going to give it the best shot that we can. We can't, there are things inevitably in life, if COVID's taught us nothing else, there are things that are beyond our control. And, and we can't control those things, but we got to try as best as we can to control the things that we can and use those things, put those things out there to, to motivate us and once again, I've got Logan there to motivate me. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do my best. If I don't do it, then I, I don't do it. And maybe it's 2022 or 2023 that it's going to be that, that we're going to do this. But, you know, maybe it's got, I got to turn 60 to be, to, to be able to do this. But we're, you know, we're going to do this. We're not going to give up. We're not going to allow the things that we can't control to control our lives. We're going to do our best to be ourselves as prepared as possible for this day. So that's that's kind of my, my, my own mentality and, and Logan's always there to, to support me. So, you know, he's he, he's already always ready to go. That sounds like the mentality of somebody who's been doing this for a long time and can put everything in perspective. So that's that's a really, um, that we always talk about controlling the controllable. So. So we appreciate that. But what worked out for you is that it did work out. You didn't have to wait till you were 60 or you didn't have to wait until 2022 or 2023. And you were there this year. So talk to us about the experience this year of getting to Boston, of the experience, the weekend, of, of running the race. Like just talk talk us through Boston this year. Yeah, I, I think, um, first of all, I, I have the best support um, crew that I could have. My wife is amazing. And uh just a story unto itself, but he's amazing. My daughter went with us. My oldest son went with us. His wife went with us. Uh, my mother-in-law went with us. My sister-in-law went with us. So we had our own cheering crew uh, by ourselves, all there together. Um, and, you know, they didn't just support us race day, but everything to get there. Um, I think also that one of the biggest challenges I have, especially if we're traveling, has to do with the chair 
And so you have to have the chair, you have to have it all put together. Um, this year, it's difficult to, to get the chair there. So I, I run with Ainsley's Angels. Uh, that's the group I run with. And, and um, there's a, the leader of it, his name's Rooster Rossiter, but Rooster helped us to get somebody in Boston that actually had a chair. And so they they got the chair to us. We had a little bit of a challenge getting the, the brakes on the chair weren't put together and the chair was actually hadn't been used yet. And so I had to try to get that because you were talking about running down the hills. And if you don't have those brakes, that would not be great to have Logan flying down the hill and, uh, without uh, dad there to help him. So anyway, um, the, the challenge of getting the brakes ready and, and we were able to, to finally get that uh, it's a little story unto itself once again, but uh, we were able to, to get that taken care of uh, adequately. Um, and so we we get there and we're trying to do some of the other things because we do have family there, other things that everybody else does. Uh, so I don't want to just be the total uh, party pooper and just stay in the room the whole time. So probably did more walking than I should have. And we also had some other stressful things we had to get through the airports and uh, Logan won't keep a mask on for two hours for the flight so we had to get some special things to, to get that through the airlines and he actually had to be tested within three days of the race to show a negative test he had to have the, his vaccination proof and then we also had to have a letter from the doctor to say that he didn't he wouldn't have to wear the mask the entire time and then also we had to have something from the airline to say that we had all that submitted in, in advance. And then even then we still had one stewardess that, that was a little bit over the top and she's like, he has to keep it on. I'm like, I've got all this documentation. And she's like, well, I haven't been shown this personally. I'm like, well, I'm sorry I've gone through this. So anyway, that's uh, a little bit of a challenge to try to try to you know do that and it's like everybody else too you know we we had to prove the vaccination so you got to walk to that place and then you had to walk to pick up the bib so so i was a little bit to be honest a little bit more tired race day than i wanted to be uh for race day and then we we had the positive and negative though of of being able to start early and so we had a 8:30 start time for us well, the negative aspect of it is I had to get Logan up at three o'clock in the morning to get us ready to get the bus to catch it there. So, you know, obviously I was a little bit, you know, fatigued from, from doing that. And, and then where we had to go, the, the host hotel that took us was about um, a little under two miles from our hotel. So we have to, you know, go over there. I got to push Logan in his chair over there too. And so anyway, it was it was eventful morning uh, that when we get there, I mean, they treated us, I mean, like VIPs. It was just amazing. You know, they took care of the chair, getting it into the, the bus. We have really nice, you know, uh, buses to take us out there. We don't have like the old school buses that everybody else has. Um, when we get there, they actually put us in, in a, up in a church. So they have us in groups so that we we can, you know, we're we're not in the elements, you know, and uh, I mean, anything that we wanted, they were just ready to take care of us. And so, I mean, I can't say enough about the, the Boston Athletic Association and how well they took care of us. I mean, that was just outstanding. How many pairs were there on that day that were on the bus that started together? 
Um, 15, um, 15, you know, pushers. Now, now there was only, I think there were three of us that had our own children that were there, three of us. Now, you don't have to have a, a child or something that's related to you to be a duo team. So you can get just one person that's a runner that is fast enough that's pushing a rider. So there were others that had that as a, and, and then there was another um, Brent and Kyle Pease, that's a father and son, or I mean, a brother, brother, brother duo, and they do races together. And so, but there are 15 total duo teams that were there together that all traveled out uh, together. So it's kind of fun to have other people that are kind of in the same boat with you and you can kind of commiserate on the, the other challenges too. You know, they've got to get their chair too. They've got to go through the same hoops that you've got to go through. So that's, uh, if misery loves company, you kind of have somebody else to talk about some of those things as well. It's also very inspiring to see other people that have their own challenges, both as a, the, the runner and the rider, you know, because they, they've come over a lot of their own hurdles to get there to, to race day as well. And so there were, I think there were eight people that were officially qualified as far as the, the duo teams. And then they also take some charity folks. So the rest of the other seven are charity people that also got in as well that didn't run a qualifying time. Yeah, that was my other question was whether um, there are charity runners that didn't have to qualify. I did um, run along the course for a little bit. We had seen their story on the news in the morning, Julie, in, in our room, um, the daughter that pushes her mother. I don't know if you met, met wow. them, but I actually got to run alongside them a little bit and said, hey, I saw you on the news this morning. So that was really another, you know, those, like you said, all of the stories are, are really inspirational. Yeah, I mean, you just, everybody's got their own story. Everybody has to do different things to get there. And, and um, you know, it's, it's um, we all, I mean, if you're running Boston, period, we all have our challenges to get there. But, you know, hey, the story may be different what those challenges are, but no, nobody gets to Boston starting line easy. It's it's never, never, especially if you qualified officially. And I mean, not, not to, yeah, I love charity runners. There's nothing against charity runners at all, but you, you just don't, it just doesn't happen. You've got to, you've got to get through difficult things and, and that's uh, special to, to know other people are there with that same uh, struggle that they've had to get there, um, even though the names and the faces change. Yeah, for sure. So tell us a little bit about, um, you know, finishing the Boston Marathon, crossing that finish line with Logan. I mean, you've done it many times before by yourself, but what was that like? Yeah, I'm, I, I think one of the things, even at the start, I, I started with that, but they, we actually lined up before the elite male runners. And so they march us out, on out, and I mean, it's in this little parade that you're going out through, and I mean, they've got the whole music that they're playing ahead of time, and so we're getting up in in the, up in the line before everybody else, and and I mean, it's just, it's motivating, and, and you know, there's only 15 of you out there, and so you take out there, and we started just behind the hand cyclists that were there, and so we all take off together, and I get to the, like I say, the mile marker, and I'm I'm 10, 10 or 15 seconds behind the next closest, next lowest person. I'm like, wow, uh, we're, we're not going to be very fast uh, today compared to everybody else. And and then we, we uh, I got to the four mile mark and I realized I'm just not going to run fast today. It's just not going to happen. 
And, and I'm like, you know what? That's not what this was about. This was not about me running fast or looking good or, or qualifying. This was about Logan. And that's what we were going after the whole day. So I spent more time with my arms in the air than I think they were at my side. I was trying to get people you know, excited about the race. And I heard more cheers. The neat thing about in duo teams, they, they actually give them a, a bib that has their name across it. So I had that on the chair. And, and I mean, they're screaming for Logan. And, you know, we're going through the scream tunnel and the, the, all the folks are just, you know, going all that. We're giving high fives. I know we probably weren't supposed to with COVID and everything, but we're doing the high five thing. We're doing anything to, to get us out there. And then we hit the hills and, and the hills were really tough. And, um, but like I say, I've got great motivation out there right in front of me. And I, I, I had set a, a goal for myself. I'm not going to walk any of the hills. I'm not going to walk at all during this. And I was tired at the end, but I got through that, that last section, uh, you know, getting through the hills. And, and I just feel Logan, Logan spirits just carrying us along, you know, to, to finish uh, over those hills. And then fortunately you, you crest that and then, uh, you know, and then the crowds are pretty amazing all the way through that section. And I mean, they're just screaming for us. Uh, and then you get to that last section, you know, right on Hereford, uh, left on Boylston. And uh, it was just magical. And uh, uh, I just, you know, people are six, six rows deep just cheering for you. And uh, I kind of like right now, I had tears streaming down my face. Uh, just, you know, because of the emotion of everything there. And it was just just hard to believe how amazing it was just to be able to experience that and experience that with him and then knowing my family's there and the many other people that I know from Boston Buddies and, and other groups, uh, you know, my team, uh, my running team that I run with. There were so many people out there that were cheering for us back home cheering for us so it was great and we got across that finish line and of course you know there's it's almost deafening it's so loud through that last section and i hear on the side finally i get across the finish line i hear bill bill well nobody knows who i am except you know my my family there and i look over my wife's over there at, at the, the the finish line and she's pushed herself through you know the six rows of people to get up to the fence and so I got Logan up out of the chair and he gives, gives his mom a kiss. And, uh, you know, it's just a magical moment, like I say. And, and the local news station actually captured it. So we have it on film to be able to capture that special moment. But you just, you know, uh, after running Boston, you know, seven times on my, my own, uh, uh, and each one was special in just different ways. But that was just over the top. It's just hard to explain how, how much it meant to me. So yeah, I don't think I'd be able to go back to running it by myself again after that, that, <laughs> that experience. That is that is really, really special. Yeah. So do you think you know, you'll run again? Just, will I run again? Uh, I you know I think we will. Um I, I don't think it'll be this next year. I, I have to recover physically and also financially <laughs> to have everybody there with us. It was but it was absolutely, I would not have traded it for, for the world. It's just an experience that uh, you just can't believe. It's just just no way to experience it. And, and part of doing this, Logan, Logan, you know, he, he uh, just finished. He actually went to a special needs school. 
finished when he was at 21, he could go there. Uh, um, that was part of our initiative to, to do this at this time also was to celebrate Logan because Logan's not going to, he's not going to get married. He's not going to have kids. He's not going to, you know, the other mile markers that all of us kind of have to, to look forward to. He's not going to be able to experience those things that we have. But this was kind of our big experience that we could do together uh, to do this, uh, you know, and, and, and it was that. And, and sometimes you put those things out there and you think, uh, you know, hey, the reality can no way live up to your expectations. And, and I honestly say it exceeded our expectations. It was just over the top, you know, amazing for, for what we experienced. So, so you know, I, like, I don't know whether I'll ever do it solo, but, you know, if I had the chance again to do it with him, uh, you know, I, I'd say, yeah, but then I start thinking, well, could we do other marathon majors and all of those things? And so you never want to say never, <laughs> uh, but it was, it was an amazing day. I say dream big and, um, you know, he may not hit those, what we think of as more typical milestones, but how many kids have had a chance to run the Boston marathon with their, with their father um, pushing them. So that's a, a huge milestone in my eyes and uh, just, such an incredible story and, and part of what makes Boston so special is to see um, all those stories that are out on the course. Like you said, everyone kind of has their 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 reason for being there and their struggles that got them there. And that's what makes Boston so special. So what a what an amazing, amazing experience and really um, makes those of us who just have to worry about getting ourselves over the hills and ourselves into Boston on a plane, you know, make us a, a, appreciate how the, the ease of that a, a lot more. Yeah, I think sometimes the the challenge of getting, uh, uh, especially now with the chair and and some of the other things, I think the running part sometimes the easy part. <laughs> All the other things that you have to do to to be there and, and be there race day, but, but yeah, right, end, that's easy for us. We just have to get ourselves to the I would say to the easy, vaccine but verification. Easy. But I would also say it is so worth it. I mean, it's absolutely worth it to, to go through there and. Sometimes along the way, you, you're you're questioning that whether it's in your training or whether it's in your, uh, you know, the other, you know, we all live lives. I mean, most of us are not elite runners. We we've got jobs that we got to go to. We have families that we take care of. They're they're the things of life that we we do on a daily basis. And so you know, life you just can't you know cut out x amount of time to, to just be able to do this. So you know, it's, yeah, I got up uh, some of the time. You know, to North Carolina here. It's really hot during the summer. I was getting up for my long runs at, at three or three thirty in the morning and, and trying to, to get in the long runs and, and, but you know, Hey, you know, race day, no excuses. You, you're there and, and you're out there to, to do it. And it's, it's uh, you know, each one of those things, when I look back, would I do it again? No question. I do it, do it over. I do it, you know, five times over to be able to, to experience what we experience on race day. So I mean, that's what I would encourage other people. Hey, if you're you're doing Boston, yes, you, you hit those things. You're going to hit those bad patches. You're going to have a you're going to have those niggles and you know Achilles tendonitis, sore knee, whatever it is. You're going to have you know um, challenges in in life. You're going to hit COVID. You're going to hit all those things that that you know are, are difficult along the way. But in the end, when you look back and you see that, uh, I, I'm looking across the room and I see that medal across on, on my middle uh, 
uh, you know, carrier that I have there, was it was it worth it? Was it worth the smile to, to see on Logan's face? Was it worth the a mama on the side to, to give us a kiss? Absolutely, there's, there's no question. Bill, you're such a role model to so many. And, you know, with the passing of Dick Hoyt this year, you certainly are carrying on a legacy that he and his son Rick started. And we have no doubt that your journey will inspire so many others to do what you're doing. Uh, the fact that you're able to give this gift to Logan and essentially to your entire family is is really so, so admirable and such a blessing. And uh, I know Lisa and I both have tears in our eyes listening to you and we're very inspired ourselves. And we thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And please thank Logan as well. And uh, we really hope to see you back at Boston. We have no doubt you will be back. The question is when, but uh, we hope to meet you in person someday. And if you should ever decide to do a qualifying race uh, around the DC area, Virginia, Maryland, let us know. We will absolutely come to cheer you both on. Uh, you're wow. just incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lisa and Julie. It's just been a joy to, to talk with you and kind of take myself down memory lane a little bit uh, there. It uh, obviously inspires me to, to know that Logan's story uh, helps to inspire others. And, uh, you know, I, I just love that so much. And Rick and Dick Hoy, you know, that's, and they were the, the pioneers. They were the trailblazers. They were the ones that allowed people like Logan and myself to be able to even do Boston and some of the other races. There, you know, there weren't Team Hoyts and there weren't Ainsley's Angels and there weren't other um uh, groups that were out there that, that do this before they came along, but they persevered, they, they made it uh, uh, something that we all can do, and, and we have a lot to, to owe to them, um, and, and that was a, another part of Boston, too, knowing that Dick passed this past year, and, and he was just an incredible role model to so many of us, and, and, and having Rick uh, also you know, I, we follow them very closely and, and just seeing what they're doing. And they just had a lot of things that were honoring Rick and Dick this year. And, and they deserve that and many times over. And, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm not super dad. I'm just a dad that loves the son. And uh, that's cool. So anyway, thank you, ladies. Really appreciate your time. And, and uh, it's uh, fun to be with you here today. Thank you, Bill. We think you're super dad. So <laughs> for whatever it's worth, we think you're super dad. So thanks so much for spending your time with us today. And um, we hope to get a chance to meet you and Logan in person at some point in the future. Yeah, love to do so. Love to do thanks, so. Bill. Thanks, Bill. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.